So people are looking for joy today. Uh, there is no shortage of websites, blogs, posts about how to be happy. Uh, one of the number one websites in the world today is Psychology Today. One of their top topics is how to overcome depression. People are looking for joy. I actually went to psychologytoday.com today, and, and I saw the tagline on the website. I thought this was funny. Um, you know, psychology and, and studying the mind and, and all that stuff. And here's the tagline. It's www.psychologytoday.com, and the tagline is health, happiness, and find a therapist. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> Health, happiness, and find a therapist. And then I, I read somewhere, I think it was on that site, I read this, that if you actually smile, your mood becomes happier. That you just, you can actually tell your mood what to do instead of your mood telling you what to do. I thought, let's try it. Let's try it right now. Um, on a scale of one to 10, how happy are you? Oh, we got nowhere to go. <laughs> you people are wonderful. <laughs> um, <laughs> next service, maybe they'll be like a three. All right, let's see if we can. <laughs> let's see if we can get it up to like a twelve. <clears throat> Everybody smile. <laughs> okay, stop. You're freaking me out. <laughs> you feel better? Okay, you know that's just baloney, right? I mean. <laughs> That might do a little something for you for the moment, but we're not going to talk about happiness, and we're not going to talk about your mood. We're going to talk about joy. Joy is different. Joy is something that you can have at any moment. Just the problem with many Christians is they don't take the time to take hold of joy. I want to teach you through this series, and we're going to go through the book of Philippians and we're going to look at a man who found joy in spite of adverse circumstances. I think you need to understand that God wants you to have joy. God wants you to have joy. Contrary to the popular belief that God is the cosmic killjoy, who is always out to get you, looking to strike you dead, looking to, you know, come after you because of all the naughty things that you've done in your life, the Bible is filled with joyful news. It is actually, I think, in my opinion, it's the theme of the Bible. If you could say the underlying theme, like we know the message is that God sends his son to die for our sins, but that the theme of that, that whole process is so that you and I could have joy. God wants you to have joy. The Bible uses the term joy 400 times. 400 times. God is big on his people having joy. Uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew has eight words for joy. Eight words. These people love joy. <laughs> they had eight words for it. The New Testament has five words in the Greek for joy. Some of the best passages of the Bible talk about joy. Uh, I'm going to read some passages in and you're going to know these passages because you've probably heard these passages. If you've been at church at all your entire life, you've heard these passages. But I'm going to tell you where they are, and then I'm going to read them. Uh, and, then, and if you know them, you can just shout them back at me while I read them. Are you ready? 
Okay, one of you. All right, Nehemiah. <laughs> Nehemiah 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Many of you know that one. Psalm 30, verse 5. Sorrow may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Some of you know that one. I looked up this one. I found this one. Uh, you're not going to know this one. This is Ecclesiastes 11, verse 8. Anybody growing old in this place tonight? Like, you all are, just letting you know. <laughs> Somebody like, no, not me. <laughs> you were older before I said that than you are now. I mean, you were older now than before I said that, okay? So you're growing older. Everybody is. But those of you who are growing really old, which is probably what you thought I was asking, I got good news for you. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 8 says, When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. Amen. Nobody wants to say amen because, you know, that's like confessing. I needed that word. I'm growing very old. Of course, it goes on like this. Let them also remember that their days will be very dark. Everything to come is meaningless. <laughs> but that's Ecclesiastes, and that's for another series. So we'll move past that quickly. Did, did, you know, <laughs> did you know that Jesus came for our joy? He came for our joy. We call the message of Jesus the gospel. The gospel word means good news. Not bad news. Good news. Remember when the angels showed up to the shepherds and they said these words in Luke chapter 2 verse 10. They said, fear not, for behold, and you know this one, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 says that the fruit of the Spirit, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes into you, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit living in your life is love, and what's the next one? Joy. Joy. Peace, patience, kindness, and on and on and on. God wants you to have joy. But here's where we struggle with joy. The way that you want to get joy and the way that God wants you to get joy are very different. That's where we struggle. That's where we have a hard time with joy. Because we think that the secret to joy is everything that we want being ours, our dreams coming true, our, our, our lives feeling fulfilled, having that spouse or the kids or the white picket fence or the house or whatever, or the job, and that if we get those things, then we will have joy. And we often seek joy in things that much of life uh, we don't find. We don't get those things, many of us. We don't have the perfect spouse, except me. I have the perfect spouse. But you people, <laughs> you poor people, don't have the perfect spouse. Amen. <laughs> Don't say amen to that. What were you thinking? That was a trick. Oh, Lord. That was a, that was a joke. <laughs> Our way to joy and God's way for you to have joy are usually very different. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, will say these words to us. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Of various kinds. How many hate that, that verse right there? I hate that verse. What are you talking about? Be happy when I'm going through stuff? Because <laughs> he says, look, because you know that the testing of your faith produces 
steadfast. There's something that you're going to get out of whatever you're going through. The Bible says in Romans 12, verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. That it's not about what you're experiencing that gives you joy. It's not what you're going through that gives you joy. It's who is in you. It's the third person of the Trinity, that that Holy Spirit, and his fruit is joy. Now, we're going to go through the book of Philippians in this series because Philippians is the Bible's book of joy. It's a letter uh, from Paul to the Philippians, the church in Philippi, and it it has been called by theologians the epistle of joy. Epistle is just a fancy word for letter. Now, what is ironic about this book, Philippians, is that it's written all about joy 19 times in four short chapters. The words joy, be glad, or rejoice show up. 19 times in four little chapters. And what is so ironic is that the author of the book is writing the book from prison. Could could you imagine getting a letter like filled with encouragement from somebody in prison? Like they just write to you, hey, I know I'm locked up and you have freedom, but I just want to encourage you right now. Could you imagine getting a letter like that from somebody? This is Paul the Apostle who's in prison writing to a church that he started and telling them in spite of his circumstances, I want you, my church, the church that I love, the people that I love, I want you to know that you can have joy because I found joy. Now, I think that he's an expert on finding joy in spite of your circumstances because if you can be joyful and encourage others while you yourself are in prison, you might have a handle on joy. Because anybody can be joyful when they're fine, when they're good, when they get the raise, when they have the kids all behaving and all that stuff. Anybody can be joyful. But when you're locked up in prison, and by the way, locked up in prison for doing something that was good, he didn't kill, he didn't maim, he didn't rape, he didn't torture, he didn't lie, he didn't bear false witness, he didn't, he didn't you know, uh, cheat on his taxes. He went across the world and he just told people the message of God's joy in Jesus. That's all that he did. And he got locked up in prison for it multiple times. In fact, not just locked up in prison, but he got beaten, whipped, stoned, shipwrecked, left left for dead, um, uh, chased out of town several times all throughout the book of Acts. This guy experienced the lowest of lows that you can experience in human life. And yet, He can still find joy. That's why, man, if you want to go, if you want to find joy, don't go to psychology today. Don't go to howtobehappy.com. I don't even know if that's a website, so don't look it up. I don't know what you'll find. Okay? (laughs) Pastor told me to go. (laughs) Let's read before I get myself into any more trouble. Okay? Stand with me one more time. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God 
in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you. All. Making my prayer with, and here it is, with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now you're going to recognize this verse. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And may God add his blessing to his word in our hearts. Amen. Have a seat. So Paul opens with these words, and we're only 11 verses in, and so we're going to take our time with this book. But I want to show you the first two verses, because the first two verses do something for us that set a tone for the rest of the letter. So every letter has a sender, every letter has a recipient. Let's look at the first two verses. Paul and Timothy, that's the senders, servants of Christ Jesus to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. I want to make sure that you understand something very quickly. Uh, Two things about this, this verse, just just these two verses. Or the first verse, actually. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, and notice that they refer to themselves as servants of Christ Jesus. Uh, usually when Paul opens a book, like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, or Colossians, Ephesians, um, you know, he wrote about a third of the New Testament, and a lot of them were letters from Paul to churches or to individuals. And usually when he opened his letters, he would say this, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he usually opened them. Paul, and, uh, it says it like this in, in um, 1 Corinthians 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. Right? That's how he starts 1 Corinthians. That's how he starts 2 Corinthians. Galatians, he says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. Not appointed by men, not appointed by anybody else, but by Jesus Christ. I mean, he's, he's like said, this is who it's coming from. Paul the apostle. And in Ephesians and in Colossians, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul, the Paul the Apostle, all the time, opening his letters. But this one, this one he says, I want you to know I'm not an apostle here. I know he's still an apostle, but he's letting them know, I want you to see me as a servant. Somebody say servant. This, This mighty man of God says, Philippians, I'm a servant. And notice that he sends it To the Philippians, he says, to all the, what's the next word? All the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. I think it's incredible what Paul does here, right in the first verse. He calls himself a servant. And he calls them saints. What if we could be the kind of church where everybody in the church considered themselves servants and everybody else saints oh you missed it 
Because that was a really good preaching point right there. <laughs> what if we could be the kind of church, though, where, where instead of looking out for our own interests, instead of looking for what we could be, do, become, or have, we became the kind of church, and we were the kind of church, and in many ways, we, we are getting to be that kind of church, where every person saw themselves as less significant than everybody else. You see what Paul's doing here? He's setting a tone for the entire letter. He's telling you, look, the world tells you to put yourself first. The world tells you to chase your dreams. The world tells you to be number one. The world tells you to, to self-actualize and self-promote and, and export who you are to the world and be somebody that other people pay attention to. But Paul says, I want you to take this kind of notion. I want you, he says this later on in the book in, in Philippians 2.3. He says, I want you to, in humility, I want you to count others more significant than yourself. What if we could be that kind of a church? In a world filled with Facebook status updates that nobody cares about. I don't care what you ate. I don't care how great your husband is. I don't care how much chocolate you ate at the restaurant last night. For heaven's sakes, stop it. In a world of self-promotion where everybody is looking out for number one, what about being the kind of people that say, I willingly say, I am less significant than you. See, that's the kind of thing that sticks out. That's the kind of thing. When Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, salt's different. It tastes different. It feels different. It brings flavor, and it preserves. That's what being salt is all about. To consider yourself a servant and other people saints. Turn to your neighbor and say, hello, saint. Now turn to your second choice and say, hi. <laughs> I didn't go for you first. I, okay. Uh, let's be that kind of church. Amen, somebody? Let's be that kind of church. Now, I just want to make one more note about uh, the first verse, because he says, to the saints in Christ with the overseers and deacons. Just a side note, little, little detour here. A healthy church has three things, saints, overseers, and deacons. Now, the word overseer means pastor or elder and deacons. A church needs pastors, and a church needs elders, uh, pa uh, uh, deacons. Uh, <clears throat> pastors are people who oversee the spiritual care of the church. And deacons are the people who care for the material needs of the church. At Water Church, we have deacons and we have elders, and I am considered an elder slash pastor. The, the word episkopos in the Greek can be translated elder, and it can be translated uh, pastor. It's almost the same thing. Okay, so they're almost the same exact thing all throughout the New Testament. Um, we have elders in this church who are here to care for you and to guide our church spiritually. I don't do this alone. We have five total. I'm one of the elders, but I'm the pastor, leader, and then we have four other guys. And do we have a picture? Can we put the picture up? Or do we not have the picture? Yes. Here's our elders. Give them a hand. Amen. I want to give you their names. 
I want to give you their names because it's important that you know who your elders are. So on the left, that handsome guy right there is Shane Parsons. Yeah. Then we have, then we have Mike Mangian, who's been with us for many, many years. Yeah. This is John Lane in the orange right there. He's right over here, John. And then the guy right there on the right, that's Douglas White. Those are our elders, and they help me make the spiritual calls around here. They will, they will love you, care for you, shepherd you, guide you. They will also, when necessary, discipline. And they will say, okay, this is wrong. You're not repentant. You need to repent or you need to go. And that's, that's very rare, but it happens. And they're here to care for you and spiritually lead. And we should honor men like this, respect men like this, and listen to men like this. Because they are there to care for you in the Lord. And we are commended in the scriptures to honor them that have rule over you in the Lord. That's a scriptural mandate. What we have today is Christians that go from church to church to church to church to church to church to church. Oh, they said something that offended me. And I'm going to run over here to that church. And we get like little kids looking for somebody to just be everything I want them to make me to be. Very individualistic, selfish Christianity. And there's no submission to the body of Christ. And we need to understand that there is joy in submission. And having somebody care for you in the Lord and love you in the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, I didn't preach. Uh, the reason why I didn't preach, I felt a little bit self-conscious. I go for a checkup to get my skin checked. Uh, it should go every six months. I go every year. And uh, they check me for moles because there's melanoma in my family in the past. And uh, they took one out of my mom. And then they took one out of my sister a couple years ago. And then I went. And uh, you never know when you show up because he's just ready with the scalpel. You know, it's like, I thought this was an office visit. He's like, no, lay down. You know? <laughs> and uh, so he cut a mole right out of here. If you can get a look at that on the camera, amen, to gross everybody out. Um, and he cut a mole out. Uh, right there in the office, and so I had this huge hole in my head. I'm not kidding you. I had a hole in my head. <laughs> and he, he pulled it out, and he tested it, and it ended up it was precancerous. And so I'm going to be here a little bit longer. Hallelujah. But listen, I, thank you. <laughs> I needed him to identify something in me that I could not see. Hello? I, I, I didn't say, oh, I don't need that doctor. What does he know? I'll take a look. Oh, that one looks bad. Cheryl, get the box cutter. Let's go. You know, just. <laughs> I didn't do that. I needed him. He cared for me physically. And what I see in a lot of Christians today is that, that they, don't want to, they don't want that. They don't want any kind of like, no, don't tell me what to do. I want to do my own thing. I do my thing with Jesus in my car, and I listen to music in my car, and I'm good. Listen, you don't have a church if it's just you and your car. <laughs> you just have you because your car isn't saved. And this whole idea of just going my own thing, do I do God, I do church on my own, is baloney. You need a church. And if you're here for the first time, welcome home. Hallelujah. You've been looking for the right one. You've been looking for the right church. I got good news for you. Jesus told me to tell you. You found it. Search over. You got a home. You got a place to call your family. 
And so there's overseers and there's deacons. Is there any deacons? Could the deacons stand up really spontaneously here quick? Amen. Let's give them a hand. They serve. Thank you, thank you, thank you. They are so awesome and integral to our church. Anyway, back to the point. What if we could be the kind of church where everybody considered themselves servants and considered other people saints? That's the title of the message. The message is the joy of being a servant to the saints. The joy of being a servant to the saints. If we could see other people not as the competition, if we could see other people uh, as part of my blood now, right? Blood is thicker than water. We say that. So that, what does that mean? That means that uh, you're, you're always going to trust your family members over friends and acquaintances. But let me just tell you something. In Christ, we are blood relatives. The blood was shed 2,000 years ago. And the same blood that cleansed me cleansed you. And the same blood that saved me saved you. And if you're in Christ, I got news for you. You are my family. I'm your family, like it or not. And we're going to be spending eternity with each other, so we better get used to each other. We better start liking each other, loving each other, caring for one another. Because the, the, the people that you're obsessed with that are not saved, they aren't your family. They once came to Jesus and they said, your mom and brothers are here. They want to see you. And he said, who are my family? Who's my mom and my brothers? And he pointed to his disciples, and he pointed to the people who followed him, and he said, this is my family now. That when you get saved, you got a new family, and the family is the family of God, the eternal family. He said, whoever does the will of my Father, which is in heaven, he's my brother, he's my father, he's my sister. How many know you need some family? Because, you, you know, when you go through life and life stinks, it's always good to come home. But some people here, they could be sitting next to you right now, and they've had a horrible week, and when they go home, it just gets worse. Because nobody there loves Jesus. And they look forward every single week to come here. Because you are the only family that they've got. Let's be the kind of church where everybody says, I'm a servant, and you're a saint. Amen? That's what Paul's saying here. The servants and the saints. I had somebody come to me once, really early in this church. And uh, she had a daughter, and the and daughter went to our youth group. And i got to be honest with you, in the beginning of our church, our youth group was terrible. <laughs> As any church plant youth group is. And uh, she came to me on Sunday after her kid went to youth. And she said, I, I feel a need in the body that we should have a youth group that's separate from the other youth group for the really spiritual kids. Uh, because my daughter is really spiritual. And the kids in the youth group, they weren't so spiritual. After I vomited <laughs> on the floor, I said, I said, I remember that, you know, the Holy Spirit, he gave me this, this verse. I, had, I must have had just read it or something like that. I said, don't you realize that Romans 15 says that we who are strong in the Lord have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak? 
Uh, you, got, you can't just come around here and just stick out your chest, I'm spiritual, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Oh, you're not so spiritual. Maybe someday. <laughs> Keep trying. Hallelujah, amen, praise God, bless the Lord. Yes. <laughs> That's baloney. If you think you're strong, guess what? That means you are obligated to the weaklings. You're obligated to serve them, to love them, to care for them. Because in caring for other people, you find joy. It doesn't come from having something, buying something, owning something, or becoming someone. I want to say this. It's in your nose. Fill in the blank. Too much of our Christian experience is centered on what happens to us. Me. Mine. That's, we judge everything by, well, that really wasn't for me. We, we judge our, our lives on what we have. We, we actually judge God on how we're faring in our walk. Well, God didn't really come through for me. Well, my, you know, my walk, I'm going through a bad time right now, so, you know, I don't know. And we make all these judgment calls on all this stuff. We judge churches by how the church is blessing me. Me. I don't know if that song was really for me. You know, I kind of like the hymns because I'm spiritual. I, me, my, me, mine. Everything's about me. And I think that we take too much interest and we judge too much of life by how it affects us if we could get outside of that. I just like some questions. Like, am I being used of God, right? Do I feel the presence of God? What is my spiritual gift? I have Christians that love messages about finding your spiritual gift. Oh, tell me how to find it. Well, just try something, right? I mean, how many messages do you need to hear about the fact that you have a spiritual gift? You have a spiritual gift. Start using it. I don't know what it is. That's for God and you to figure it out. But it's like everything's about my spiritual gift. What is God doing in me? What is God doing through me? And sometimes you say, this church doesn't recognize my gifts. Maybe I should find a church that knows how to appreciate me. There's no joy in that. There's no joy in that. What if we became the kind of church that just said, I'm here to serve. I'll do whatever you guys need because it's not about me. And maybe, maybe God is blessing somebody else right now. And you just got to be joyful about that instead of saying, well, what about me? Amen, somebody? Amen. Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, I want you to know something. In these first 11 verses, he says, I think about you all the time. I love you guys. For 11 verses, he's in prison. And for 11 verses, he's saying, I love you. I yearn for you. I care for you. I pray for you. I think about you all the time. And I, when I think about you, I get filled with joy. That's the, that's the joy of belonging to a body, a family. So that, so that you move outside of yourself. And the funny thing is, is that how Philippians started was actually interesting. Paul was in prison before. And he and Silas were praying and worshiping. 
and the prison doors, there was an earthquake, the prison opens, and, and there all the prisoners escape. This is in Acts chapter 16. And the, prison, the, the warden's about to kill himself. He says, don't do that. And the guy says, what should I do to be saved? And Paul took that as, what do I, how do I find Jesus? And so he just led him to Jesus, and his family got baptized, the whole family was saved. And there was a church started there. But now he's writing to a church, the same church, he's writing back to them now, about 10 years later, and he's in prison again. But this time there's no earthquake. And no miraculous deliverance. And there is no jailer getting converted. But he still has joy. And his joy is in the fact that he has family. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Three things and then we're done. Number one. Paul had them on his mind. You're always on my mind. (laughs) I had to do that. Can I ask you a question? Who can you think of right now that is really and truly a Christian friend? Because if you don't have anybody, and please don't say your spouse. With all due respect, wonderful that you can be friends with your spouse, and you should be. But the Bible says that the two become one, and you need another one. You need friends. And if you're a Christian man, please don't tell me it's a Christian woman. If you're a married Christian man, who can you say? Who can you say, this is my brother, my sister, my friend? He said, I thank God and all my remembrance of you. Who can you think about? Who could you call right now? If you were to, if you were to go through something and you would say, I don't know what to do, who would that Christian brother or sister be? Because you need them. The devil loves to have you isolated from Christians. You know the whole thing, oh, I don't want to go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. That phrase is stapled to the devil's wrist. It's right there. He reads it all the time, and he just speaks it all the time. Don't go to church. It's full of hypocrites. Don't go to church. It's full of hypocrites. Don't go to church. It's full of hypocrites. He loves that line. It's, it's, on his, it's behind his desk in hell. Because he wants to keep you out of real community. And so Paul says, I think about you. I pray for you. I I love you. Look what it says here in in Psalm 68, verse 5. This is what it says about God. Father to the fatherless. Psalm 68, verse 5. Can we put it up on the screen? Father to the fathers 